Welcome to the Sport Feels Life podcast, where we're bringing you interviews with coaches and athletes at the top of their game. This is a community to support coaches, athletes, and fans who share a passion for making the world a better place through athletics. We are serving our community and providing a variety of resources to grow and win as a team in the sports we play and the life we live. We are your hosts. I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And we're so excited to bring you all things Sport Feels Life. Hey, Ashley. How's it going? I'm actually really stressed out right now about my fall volleyball team. Oh, no. What's going on? Sports funding at our school was cut by 75% because of the pandemic. And now our players aren't going to have the equipment and uniform updates that we were hoping for. That does sound stressful, but have you heard about Team Connections Team Store fundraising platform? I think it could really help you out this season. No, I actually haven't. Tell me more. Well, not only can you use this fundraiser to boost team spirit during these crazy times, but you can also customize merchandise on top brands with your team's logo to earn cash back for your program without even having to send your players out door to door to collect money or worrying about delivering orders. The Team Connection Team Store is a COVID-safe fundraising platform that can make a big difference for your team this year. Oh, wow. That sounds like exactly what I need. How do I get a team store set up? Setting up your own team store is easy and free. Simply go to teamconnection.com and select the team stores tab to learn more. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. I'm going right now. Today's guest is the all-time winningest coach in the history of East Carolina University women's basketball, the great Heather Macy. She's not only a coach, but also an author, motivator, and leader. Heather prides herself in helping others reach their goals. Her philosophy of impacting and influencing is based upon building confidence, instilling discipline, and keeping the intent based upon you winning. One of only 300 coaches in the country, Heather received a certification in emotional intelligence in 2016. She currently travels speaking to teams and organizations on how to use EQ to become an elite performer. You guys are going to want to pull out a notebook. This is one heck of a conversation. Without further ado, here's our interview with Heather. Hey, Heather. Thanks for joining us today. If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners who may not know you yet, you know, your basketball journey and career and kind of how you got to where you are today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is year 20 for me as a college basketball coach. And so originally I grew up about an hour outside of Greensboro in a small town called Hamptonville and went to Greensboro College, had a a great time, enjoyed my playing career, played two sports there, basketball and tennis. And for me, coaching was just kind of natural progression is your playing career is done. You hang up the sneakers. Okay, what's next? And for me, that became coaching. And from there, I feel like I really haven't worked a day in my life. It's a ton of fun, put on sweats every day and get to go help young people, which is an incredibly rewarding profession. I see it way more as a profession than I do a job and really thankful to be going into year 20 and refreshed and rejuvenated enough to feel like I'm ready to coach another 20. Let's talk about your coaching career and what inspired you to become a coach and what it's like to be a woman in the coaching world and to be a head coach at that. How have you navigated that? How have you come up in the ranks and how, I guess, do you play that game? You know, I think it's really evolved. So when I was playing 
there were a lot more females coaching. And as the money has changed over time, I think you're seeing less women because the influx of men coaching women. And so, you know, I, I, I've told this, this publicly and it's a, I think a great analogy, you, you know, you walk into work and, and, you know, I, ha- I had a job situation where you kind of walk in the main doors and there's hall of fame area. And if you go up stair- stairways that you could see like from the hall of fame and to the left is men's basketball and to the right is women's basketball. And every morning it was a great analogy for me. I'd walk in that door and I always had to go to the right. Whereas I had male assistants, they walk in the door and truth be told, they could go left or right. And so for me, it was just more about the ability that women can go left or right. You know, when the money got better, and so more people want to do it, whether that's, you know, gender specific or not. But I think that is why more men who'd been coaching men's basketball are willing to come over and coach women's basketball from a financial perspective. And, you know, I think what I'm encouraging women's coaches to do is just be basketball coaches and decide, listen, I can also coach men's basketball, but you're going to have to go apply for those jobs. You're not going to be able to coach men's basketball by simply saying, well, I can't go do that. I think there's got to be a level of a pursuit. And I think you're starting to see it. You're seeing in the NBA and all those kinds of things trickle down. And there's one or two female assistants on the men's side. I think over the course of the next five or 10 years, we're going to see that happen way more. And it's going to be less like, wow, you know, it's really progressive and more like, well, absolutely, that that should be happening. In basketball, the games aren't that different. So the size of the ball changes a little bit, but the court's the same and the majority of the rules are similar. So the transition to coach men or women isn't a great change up. So I guess with that in mind, would you have done anything differently in looking back on your career and getting to where you are today? Or would you just do everything as you have? Gosh, I think every single person looks back on it and goes, I could have handled that better. Or wow, I should have adjusted that more quickly. And so I think we're all doing that. I don't live in that space, though. I I really work really hard not to live in a a shoulda, woulda, coulda. I call that being in the woods the should-haves, the could-haves, the would-haves. And so I want to live in a space in the present of going, I learned from what just happened, uh, but how can I be better? And it's totally a growth mindset versus living in the past and and full of regrets. I don't think that that brings your best version of you to the table. How do you cultivate a growth mindset in a coaching career? How would you suggest our listeners who are coaches go about doing that for themselves? You know, I'm going to tell you something. I think a lot of coaches really struggle with creating a growth mindset because we get really caught up in the result of it. And I was reading yesterday and I read this and it says growth with a timeline versus growth without a finish line. And I think too many times we're looking at it as simply the ability to, hey, what, what am I, what have I got to get done? I got to get this done in the next three years. I've got to get this done in the next five years. And I would argue the point of you're not setting big enough goals if you're accomplishing them that quickly. Our society is saying, throw it in a microwave and right away, this is what you should be doing. If not, we're going to find someone else to do it. I would stress on a more holistic perspective of saying, what can you do in the next decade? That's how you've got to set your goals. What's happening in the next 10 years? And and if you're the same person, and and I'm very proud to say I'm not, If you're the same person at 30 years old as you are at 50 years old, then I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, then you haven't done enough or, or you haven't set goals enough and you haven't read enough and you haven't been around the right people. 
because you don't want to be the same person at 30 that you are at 50 because you have 20 years of life lessons and the ability to impact people and learn from other people. And I'm not quite 50 with that example I just gave, not even we're close by the way, but just the same as if we get, I have kids right now, 18 years old. And I go, you're not even going to be the same person when you're 25 because of the evolution of what happens from 18 to, to 25. And then you look at it and you go, think about all of us, 25 years old, you know, to 35, oh my gosh, that 10 year period of, of growth and change that happens. I would just say that it's, it's important for everybody to continue to go, okay, I didn't do that well. And maybe it's perceived failure or is it perceived, wow, that helped me learn much, much more quickly. What about strategies for developing growth techniques? Maybe give us like a top three of like things that you found that have really helped you. You know, I think number one is, is being around the right people, I think is very important. When you start looking around who you are allowing in your circle, uh, who, who are you allowing uh, in your thoughts? You know, I, I jokingly say, if you're the smartest person in the room, you've got to leave the room. Um, and you want to make sure that you're around people that challenge you. And most people don't want to do that. It makes them super uncomfortable. Uh, but I think it's incredibly important that ma making sure that you have uh, the right people, the right support, um, and the right people giving you ideas um, and suggestions. I mean, I have a, a group of friends and several of them are, are older than I am. And some of the lessons they're able to share with me financially, perspective wise, it's just absolutely incredible. So I think, I think the people around you, I think the ability to give yourself permission that it's okay to take time for yourself each day. I think that's very important as well. I think especially as women, we're not doing that. We're giving to everyone else and we're absolutely, our tanks are, are empty when the reality of it is, is that if we take care of ourselves, whether it's getting a workout in or reading or, or meditating or maybe just eating right and being hydrated, then, then when you're time to give to everyone else, then we'll be ready to give to everyone else because we'll be in the right headspace. So I would just consider some of those things being vitally important. That's huge. It sounds like you have some really good concepts that you can apply to growth. And I can only imagine how much that helps your athletes. And to that note, you know, you're getting athletes that are, you know, coming into college and in that 18 year old range. And in that time frame of college, there is so much development and growth. Um, so I'm curious how you continue to develop those players at the college level and if you have a story of the biggest player transformation that you've seen and been a part of. Well, the neat thing is, is that the players keep being 18, you know, to 22 and I keep getting older and older. So I'm able to take some of the lessons um, that five years ago, those kids were learning and come back and tell the stories to reapply them. The easiest lesson around kids and, and their development becomes into a body transformation. I mean, th those are the easiest, most, most obvious. Uh, but I, I would probably say for me anyway, from a growth perspective, the kids that didn't even dream that they could even make it to college. And, that, and, and that's who I'm coaching right now. Kids that, you know, for, for one reason or the other, you know, are they afforded an opportunity to go to college or really talented basketball players? Maybe their grades aren't great. You know, maybe they've had some parental problems or, or some, you know, some social issues. And all of a sudden, here's my opportunity. 
And I'm just obviously every single day challenging them, do your habits match what your goals are? And, and that's where I, I honestly continue to coach from a place of, okay, that's what you chose to eat. Does that match what the goal is? That's what, that's what you chose to drink. Does that match the goal? That's the action you chose to do. Does that match your goal? Uh, your goal is to graduate from here. The habit of not studying, it doesn't correlate. I think that transfers over to adults as well. Look at the habits that we have every single day. And we go, well, did that habit get you closer to, or farther away from your goal? Right? Because that, that, that's a bad routine or that's a, a bad cycle that you're in. And a lot of adults don't even set goals. You know, and I, I don't even think our kids would set goals. They're setting goals because we're really focused on it. And we're, we're going, okay, what is, what is, what do we like to do this week? I mean, that's really how specific we're getting in planning it out. Okay. What are we going to do in the next 90 days? And what are we going to do? You know, we just keep building it out. Uh, especially young people. I think it's very hard to think what is my life look like five years from now or four years from now when I graduate. Uh, it's scary. So we was like, can we win the day that we're in right here and have great habits for today? I went to grad school with a woman, amazing woman. She was always on a diet and she said, we were, we were in the cafeteria eating and she ate awful for dinner that night. And um, I said, well, I guess the diet's a diet is over. And she said, well, actually the key that I've learned to remember in this is I had a bad meal. You know, I don't have to have a bad week of eating. I don't have to have a bad month of eating. I just ate really poorly that meal. And isn't that true? How many times could we all just recenter it right away, make the adjustment? But most of us don't. We get into it and we, we make it over and over and over the same mistakes again. And then it's harder and harder and harder to climb back out of that hole. That's so true. I think so many diets get totally derailed by one chocolate bar, even like it's just people get hung up on that. But I'm wondering with goal setting and what I feel like we're talking about here is resilience when you're making choices. How do you set goals that build on that? And how like for grown adults, even who have never set a goal, how do you go about teaching that? How do you explain it? And how do you put it into practice? On my website, Heather Macy All Access, I have, it's called a P3, and it is a pocket planner. And what it is, is it is rating your production and the ability to, uh, in there is talking about what is your long-term goals. And every single day you have that with you. And then you're basically debriefing every day. What's your short-term goals? What is my to-do list? I think that's as adults, what we get caught up in is your to-do list doesn't match your long-term goals. And so thus you never accomplish your long-term goals. So looking at it from a, that perspective, that is a great tool. People can download that, print it off. You know, you can write in kind of stuff that isn't changing like the long-term goal. And then every single day you realize, oh my goodness, I gave no attention to what the long-term goal was going to be because I got so bogged down in this to-do list. So I would just challenge the adults as your goal setting to not allow what is in your mind just the busy to overtake you and prevent your clarity and understanding really what is the, the big long-term objective. I see it all the time uh, with, with folks that I work with from a consulting perspective. They get so caught up in, oh, I'm busy and I have this and I have that and I have this and I have that. And then they look up and they go, oh my gosh, like I, I stopped focusing on what was important, you know, with my job. You know, for me, it's like, well, ultimately we want to prepare to win. 
So you want to win that next game that you're going to. And, and if you're not careful, you get caught up in all the to-do list items that you've got to go and do every day. So I would just challenge the adults in it to keep in mind is that while you're so busy and you're rushing from one thing to another, you know, A, did you give yourself the attention that you deserve? And B, did you give the relationships in your life the attention that they definitely deserve? Because those to-do lists can be done by other people. So when your job decides they want someone else to do that to-do list, are the people around you, did you take good care of them? Did you love on them? Did you, did you pour into them? Because that's when you're going to need them to answer that phone when you call because you've got something going on. So I'm a big, you know, if the phone rings on it, I got to answer because I'm telling you when I've had adversity in my life, you know, my friends have answered the phone for me. That is awesome. Do you, are you a routine person or how do you ensure that you stay, stay so on top of it and keep all of your priorities in line for the day, for the week, for your years and your goals in the future? Well, first I'm not perfect. And so there's days that I'm, Oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. I don't want to get up. And, and that's okay. Right. I coach it. It doesn't mean I always get it right. Um, I've read a book habit stacking. I think it is key, especially for busy people. Like right now with everything happening in the world with COVID, my work has a health app that every single day you check in, you know, any symptoms and all that before you come to work. So many people are having a hard time adding that into their day where with the habit stacking routine, it's right away as I make my coffee and I hit start on the coffee, I pull the phone up and I handle the app. It takes less than 30 seconds to do. And so because you have to stack it while I make coffee, while I do the app, I don't forget to do the app. Um, so I think some of those ways are, are keys to it. Um, brushing my teeth, I'm um, right away, like I'm affirmations, you know, just some of the mental things. Uh, breathing routines while I'm stretching at the gym. So instead of making anything, I think the rule of the book is anything that you can do in less than two minutes, you can have it stack it. It's the things that take a long time. But the problem is, is it's kind of like brushing our teeth. That would be a great example. Brush your teeth in the morning and night because you do it so frequently, you know, you can prevent having cavities or gingivitis or gum disease or whatever. No one's saying I have to go do that for 45 minutes, right? You just have to do this small but you have to do it frequently. Most things in life are the exact same way. It's just a small adjustment, but done frequently over a course of time will equal positive changes in our life. I mean, I literally, I'm the, I'm the bathroom book person. So if you've got three, bath, three bathrooms in your house, each of the back of the toilets put a different book. When you go into the bathroom and you're sitting down and you're gonna check social media and see what's going on Facebook, instead of doing that, grab the book, Every single, you may read two pages. You may read a page. You may read a paragraph. I have no idea. But you're now getting some motivation and getting some inspiration. And I even have found myself, I did this about a year ago, and I was rapidly reading books. And I was just sitting there because I was like, oh, this is great. And, or I would go all the way to the upstairs bathroom because I enjoyed the book that was there more than the other. So as everybody's staying at home and you're spending a lot of time at home, that's just the way to continue to read uh, throughout the day. I mean, and with those habits, I'm also laughing a little bit because recently my fiance and I started doing core together while we're brushing our teeth. So it's just like that same concept. It's just 
getting in something extra in those few minutes of a routine that you do normally. And so that just helps you work towards a goal and stay on track. Um, I guess to transition from that, do you feel like there are certain skills that make you a better college coach? Or are there any specific skill sets that you think just create a, a stronger coach in general? I think that coaches who are competitors, right? And, and all coaches would say, well, I'm a competitor. But I think there's definitely scales and levels of the competitive drive. I just think people's competitive index will really show. And, and, and that also shows with different levels people coach. But I think that's a great trait of a coach. Um, the second trait of a coach is when they're able to take their eyes off themselves and are able to really not do it for them for themselves because there's a lot of uh, ego involved in coaching. And I think the ability to have humility um, is a key thing. I, I met with our staff the other day and I talked to them about every single day we want to earn our PhD, you know, and here I am in this academic setting. And so you use the term PhD, you know, that's looked at like that's elite. That's at the top of the game. But for us, PhD stands for passion, humility, and discipline. So when our staff comes in every day, we want to exude passion and humility while we're leading, as well as discipline so that our kids can follow and they have someone to mirror, and especially women to mirror what success and being a strong female looks like. Yeah, absolutely. I guess my question to follow up on that is just how do you cultivate humility, particularly in someone who is so ego-driven? What, what would be the advice for that? You know, I think I had to learn that the hard way for me. I had to fail, and you kind of had to pick yourself back up. And then right now, I've got an accountability system, and I have people who call me out. And so if, if I approach my job at all um, with arrogance, you know, I'm giving you permission to say to me, today you made it about you, you know, or today, you know, your attitude, you know, what, what you weren't very humble when you, when you explained that or you, what, you know, you didn't approach that with a sense of gratitude. I'm just telling you, if you're not careful through success, your whole perspective will change. So who do you have in your life and around you that you've given permission to honestly just tell, tell you the truth? I mean, the majority of people in your life aren't telling you the truth. They're just agreeing with you to move on in the conversation um, or really don't care enough to tell you the truth. So I think setting that for me, just I have a contract for myself <laughs> with myself that I've made and who I want to be every single day that I don't allow the winning to shift my purpose. So we want to win only so we can influence and impact more people. And I have to keep myself centered on that. I have to have people call me out so that I can adjust quickly if I start um, shifting back to old norms or um, literally, literally that competitive index overrides all decision-making, which can sometimes happen in athletics. Totally. Let's go back to that piece on failure and talk about how maybe in your experience, like what was a failure that helped bring about some self-awareness and help you to kind of course correct as you were going? So I was a part of a team that lost 14 consecutive games. And we should have course corrected after three 
And, you know, it's, it's just like a lot of us do. We just keep beating our heads against the brick wall and figuring that it'll adjust itself. Okay. And it'll figure it, everything will work itself out. And it literally took 14 consecutive losses in, in college basketball. That was over a three month period, which will just absolutely mentally and emotionally wear you out. People you're leading stop believing in the game plan of it uh, because they're not seeing any success. And so for me, uh, that really, it broke me. I think I had never lost in my life as far as around, around athletics. And so losing opened my eyes and softened my heart. I talk, I talk a lot about basketball broke my heart, but fixed my vision. And I think that's what the losing did for me. Uh, And and at the same time, I I think that it also made me appreciate the winning. I had probably um, stopped appreciating what it took to, to win. Um, and the enjoyment of it. So I also talk about go get the ice cream. Like you win a game, winning is hard. Enjoy the winning. Don't take it for granted. Cause you may have to go on that 14 game losing streak where you'd give your right arm to be able to, um, to get one win during that kind of stretch. Yeah. Go get that ice cream. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious though, when you are faced with that kind of adversity with a loss or several losses, and the tide's kind of shifting and you're having to navigate the fans and administrations that maybe aren't happy with the way things are going and maybe putting that pressure on you to change things. How do you navigate that as a coach and how, how do you um, recover from that? And how do you, like, what do you do? What's the secret, I guess, to fixing um, yourself internally to like knowing that you're not always going to make people happy all the time? Well, I think it's important with who, whomever you're working for, whether, and that changes in every industry, like for coaches, you know, are you working for the AD? Uh, are you working for the board of trustee or the president? Or you have to know exactly who you're working for and what exactly they want done. So if they go, okay, we would like you to have the best GPA in the conference and active in the community and lead in attendance, then you can better make decisions based upon what you're what the goals are. I think when things kind of get funny in college athletics is you sign up for this is the goal. And then midstream, you get a new boss, you get a new AD, you get a new president, you get whomever. And so are you adjusting at that point? Um, Because it's important for longevity is that you're very clear on what the goals are, because as a coach, you're going to have to adjust the way that you run your program. That's not, you know, you got to adjust the way that, that you guard ball screens or philosophically what you're doing at practice is the adjustment of running a program and not just coaching a team, which is also a, a mental mindset uh, that you have to understand. It's not about just coaching that team that season, you know, really in college athletics, it's how you run a program, how you do anything is how you're going to do everything. And I just think it's really important to understand the climate at your university, understand the climate of the athletic department and understand how as a coach you can have longevity in what you're doing. So I know you mentioned earlier that you see yourself coaching for 10, 20 more years. Um, Obviously you really like it, but kind of going off of that, what's next on your radar in terms of goals for this upcoming season or just kind of what are you most looking forward to in working towards with your team this year, or even if it's just an individual personal goal? 
Well, I'm really fortunate. The, the place that I'm working at SMC and the kids that I'm coaching, um, they're, A, it's a lot of fun. So when you're having fun doing what you're doing, um, and, and, and they don't, we've all worked in jobs where you go, holy cow, I want to go do one thing, and it takes seven pieces of paperwork to do one thing. That's not my environment right now. You know, it's, um, you know, you want to do one thing, you probably have to get one confirmation to go and do it which makes it a really fluid job and it makes it a lot of fun doing it. So you can focus on the stuff that's really, really important, which is those kids. And so a lot of the reason I feel like that um, that at this point of my career is that I'm just getting going is a, I think I just now learned enough and got pretty good at it. It, it takes time to perfect a craft and a lot of young coaches think they know everything within the first five years. I would argue you know, that it's taken 10 years to really have a high level of competency uh, in any industry, but specific, uh, specifically coaching. So from that perspective as well, you know, when you're having fun doing what you're doing, you feel like you're making an impact. Um, and then you're feeling like that, that you can diversify and go into different areas and do different things. You know, I have a leadership book out, you know, I do some consulting work and all of the podcasts that I host, all these things are again, I feel like I'm just pouring into um, myself, truthfully. Uh, I feel like I'm growing, getting smarter every single time I do these things, but ultimately I think I'm helping people. And so if you feel like you're helping people, then, you know, you have a surplus of energy. You don't feel exhausted. It's when you feel like, oh man, my tank is empty when you leave from work. I'm very fortunate that I never leave work with my tank on empty from a, a negative emotional standpoint. I might leave on empty because I just gave it all that I've got, but definitely not from um, just a draining perspective. So I'm fortunate to be able to do that. And so I've got such good energy that I just feel like I could just continue to do it at, at where I'm doing it and how they're allowing me to do it. That's always such a treat when you do have a business that brings you joy and it's a good partnership. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I'm curious with team culture being such a hot topic in sports right now and so many coaches and people in leadership roles getting called out for potentially toxic behavior. I'm curious what your thoughts are on building a strategy for a unified team, especially during this time when we're not really able to be super together because of the virus and everything. You know what? I think that's a first, that's a really great question because it's about the ability to adjust and we cannot continue in, in the environment that I'm in doing it the exact same way. But the way that we have learned to do things virtually, I think that even when it goes back to, to mostly face-to-face, -face, there are some really good things that we learned from an efficiency standpoint, from how staying at home isn't a bad thing, how some of us are probably more productive uh, in those environments. And so our kids' online classes uh, the way that we're able to zoom and film study and connect. Now I, I would, I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, one of my love languages is physical touch. And so I have missed giving them high fives and giving them like hugs and saying, Oh, I miss you guys. You, that felt really weird when we welcomed them back, back to school. Um, but I think a lot of the things that we have learned even being back is we're going to do that digitally. You know, we're going to do that on video conference has been just really uh, productive, efficient. It's been a really, really incredibly efficient way to do it um, that we're trying to take away from a lot of those things. 
Also with, you know, COVID-19 and all of that, it's obviously shifted a ton of training. So in bringing your players back to training, what has been your biggest priority moving into the nearest future for them? So we're, we're uh, working out September 1 here. And then when we get up to Thanksgiving break, our kids will go home and they won't be back until the new year. And so all of the things we're working on now is equipping them for when they're home for that month and a half and how they're able to train, because that's really our season will start in the spring. So how do we get them at their maximum? Then we're continuing to do the electronic uh, film study so that they're in a, a common habit versus what would be what, what we would do normally is get them all together, show the film together. But I want to keep them into feeling like this is an okay way to do it. And I can learn this way so that we can have a really productive month and a half before where it's time to transition in. I think that's so smart. And you're right. It does feel like things as like strange as it is, it somehow oddly is a little bit more productive to be able to kind of navigate this digital space in a way that feels good for everyone. So I, I think that's awesome. Um, gosh, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for being here, Heather. Thank you for having me. I've had a great time. I really appreciate the opportunity. Follow me on social media at Two Feet In Heather Macy and the website is heathermacyallaccess.com. And follow me on the podcast, Two Feet In with Coach Heather Macy. What I loved most about this conversation with Heather was her thoughts on goal setting being hinged on setting good habits that lead to greater productivity. She had so many wisdom nuggets in there that made me reevaluate if I'm living out habit stacking that helps me take small steps each day toward my bigger goals. Well, as always, guys, we are so grateful that you took time out of your day to come and listen to our show. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review so others can find us more easily. It really means a lot to us and it helps us get the word out. Yes, and we're always looking for new stories to share here on our show. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tell us their story by nominating them at our website, sportfieldlife.com. Thanks for listening. 